This episode is the first of its kind. And by that I mean it's our first short episode, and I guess you could say most of our episodes are considered short if you're going to compare them to a normal podcast, which could run an hour or more. While these episodes normally run 30 to 40 minutes, I like that length because that often holds your attention better, and I'm able to highlight all the important moments from the recording. Believe it or not, most of these interviews are an hour and a half or even two hours long, so I do a lot of editing to cut it down to that sweet spot of 30 minutes. But like I said though, today's episode is shorter, but only slightly, where it's going to come in at around 20-something minutes. And don't get confused, just because it's a shorter episode doesn't mean the story is any less impactful. Today's episode is all about making the most out of your life that you've been given and putting yourself out there no matter the fear. This is the My Art is Real podcast, a narrative journey into the lives that shape art. I'm your host, Jacob Johnson, and this is episode 34, Michael Polakowski. Right after the break. Do you like listening to artist stories? Do these episodes inspire you to keep chasing your art dreams and trying new things? If so, consider supporting the show by purchasing prints or artworks on the Myers Real website. You can collect art and support the show all at once on MyersReal.com. More print releases and exhibitions coming soon. I couldn't make this podcast without all of you, the listener, but if you want to take that support a step further, please leave the show a review wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you, and back to the episode. Detroit, Motor City, the home of the very delicious Detroit-style pizza, and also where our guest was born and raised. Hi, uh, yeah, this is Michael Polakowski. Uh, I'm a painter living and working in Detroit, uh, Michigan. And I've been working professionally as an artist for about seven years, delving mainly into surrealism and working in the, the method of airbrush paintings. Uh, my work has kind of evolved over the years to kind of hone in on the techniques I'm working now in my process. Because he grew up in the suburbs of Detroit, there was always this lingering pressure that you kind of had to follow two paths. Either you were into automotives or you were in the medical field, and he just didn't quite fit in with any of that. Every single member of my family, at least not my parents, but their parents, uh, worked for the automotive industry. And growing up, it was kind of like a given that you either work in the medical field or you work for the car companies at some point. And I just knew I never wanted to do either of those things. I wanted to stay as far away from cars. I don't really have a lot of interest in them besides maybe painting them from now and from time to time. But yeah, it, it, Dearborn was a great place to grow up. And, um, you know, it's close to a city, but it's also like any, like a lot of cities around here. It's like you can, in a two, mo- two hour drive, you can be in the complete wilderness and, you know, surrounded by nature. So growing up, what were your interests? Growing up, uh, I think like a lot of kids in this in the midwest and i talk about this a lot in my work is we don't really have like the thing that you do when you're there's no like culture of the midwest so i think we look towards the coasts like new york and california and at the time like skateboarding was going through a big boom uh, i remember like finding thrasher and Transworld mags and magazines and really loving the graphics of that kind of stuff um so 
yeah, skateboarding, underground comics um, were a big influence. I, there was some really great comic book stores that were by my house growing up, um, and that kind of like started my, I guess, uh, development of art. I kind of came to art really, really late when I was around 18 or, or probably 16 or 17. So when you were a kid, you weren't, you know, drawing or doing anything like that that a lot of young artists did? Uh, I was a little bit, uh, not like a ton. I have a sister who's also a talented artist, um, but she works as a art director now. Um, and so it felt like growing up as a kid that my sister was the artist and I kind of thought of myself, I was left to kind of think of myself as whatever way I wanted. So, but it wasn't necessarily an artist. So I, I would tell stories or, you know, be creative in other ways. And, you know, that was like building things, um, making like models or building Legos and, so that I think in that way, that's how I was creative. I would always make books, but it didn't it didn't feel like, oh, I'm doing this because I'm an artist. It just was innate. Like I'm doing this because I I need to do this or I want to do this right now. But in, in that same way, I never found art as a thing that you should get better at, <laughs> which was kind of interesting. So I never sat down to be the best draftsman or drawer or painter in any way. Um, I just really logically kind of found things in art that suited my needs at the time, you know, wh- whether it was a story or um, or something like that. And when you said you would make books, what were these books like? What were they about? Yeah, I would just fill book after book with just like all these pen and ink drawings that start became like this very stream of consciousness thing by the time I was like maybe 16 or 17. And it was like just something I was doing at the time. I've always did it when I was younger. And I think at the time when I was like maybe, you know, 17, 18, I was really kind of coming to terms with perhaps some uh, unfortunate things that happened when I was younger, some abuse that I was maybe had gone through. Um, and so it was kind of a way for me to kind of process that at the time. See, Michael was using his art as a way to process trauma. But what was that trauma? I'm sure you would love to know, and so would I, but... As it turns out, Michael has signed an NDA, which means his lips are sealed for the time being. But he did give me a very basic and vague idea of what kind of went on. It was from the time that I was uh, around 7 to t- 17, so about 10 years. Um, and it just, and then at the end, it was something that just was an unfortunate uh, situation that, you know, Went on for longer than it. I, I'm not going to be able to do this in one go. Yeah, he was having a pretty hard time explaining it without explaining it. But Michael finally found the right words and the best way he could convey it. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to say. Um, yeah, it just was a situation that I was in for about 10 years. As it was going on, it kind of made me kind of confused uh, about myself and my own kind of sanity and made me question what what was, you know, li- and living in that state for so long, you kind of have, you develop this very surreal interpretation of the world where, you know, you, you feel very just dis- like disassociation, which is a very like serious thing kind of becomes normal. And you're really constantly wondering what is true and what is real about your yourself and so i think then by the time i was 17 i you know i think my mental health was about as worse as it's ever been 
I had, you know, periods where I don't remember leaving the house for about a week. And then at that time, I think I just started drawing, you know, I spent time, started spending time alone. But when I also when I was with people, having these books that I was making and working on made it so that it kind of transported me back to that, that state of mind of when I was alone and by myself and was able to kind of contemplate things. But it, you know, it, it gave me a perspective that I, ultimately you have to like kind of, it's like a form of alchemy. You always have to take something. You have the life you have and you have to take what you have and ultimately turn it into something that suits, that serves you. And if something doesn't serve you, you have to, it's really only on you to turn it into something that is. And I think at this point in my life, like that period is, is the strongest. And, and really I'll say like, that period and how I handled it was the strongest asset to my art practice. Um, Cause everything that came from that was just, you know, extraordinary uh, coping. Michael's right. We all have these cards we have been dealt in life and we have to do the best we can with that hand and find a way out. Michael's way out of course was art. And he would channel these emotions through his pen into these elaborate notebooks. As he continued to draw on these books, a teacher noticed his talent and recommended he pursue art more seriously. It's it's weird because I I also have OCD, and for me it was like just something I did as a kind of a, a habit or as a, like a ritual kind of thing. But yeah, it was something that like I never showed anyone to the point when I was like a senior in high school. Like I would hang out in the art room a lot, and I had a an instructor who saw all of these drawings and just kind of assumed like hey like I, like you want to go to art school at some point you should like really think about applying like they, and they said it in a way like i was in the middle of applying to this and i had truly never even thought about it like ever you know and it was like this big mind exploding moment of oh my god like i need to um i could i could kind of cobble these books together that i was making at the time and have a portfolio but and on the same token, like I had at that point, I was like second semester, senior year of high school. I didn't have a single drawing or painting piece in my entire portfolio. But with just those books, I applied to an art school in the area. My parents were really supportive and, you know, drove me out to the portfolio review. And um, I got in off of just like something that I was doing because it felt like, you know, what I had to do at the moment. You so literally, you were just drawing in these books, and some teacher noticed that you were good at art and suggested you maybe go to art school. And you're like, Yeah, maybe. And then you went, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, I wouldn't, it, I would say they weren't even they, they were they're interesting looking back, they're really unique. I, I'd say like they were they were unique and, and they weren't you know amazing graphite drawings or good representational drawings, they were just really inspired by. Um, like again, underground comics and like alternative comics. I think as an adult, you putting myself in this instructor's point of view, like it, it'd be surprising to see an 18 year old who's like kind of tapped into and, and, and has influences other than just, you know, anime and graphite drawing. So I think it, it kind of caught him off guard. I, like I said, I didn't have a lot of technical skills. It opened up a, like a side of like, Oh, well, like I could, I could start painting. And I remember I immediately enrolled in a, like a high school painting class and I was the worst person in that class. <laughs> and so 
it was something, but it was some, like, I just love the thought of like sitting in front of a canvas for a number of hours and like suddenly something that is unique to your mind and unique to like your point of view um, at the end of that sitting exists. You know, I hear so many stories of artists getting into art school and being humbled as they realize they might not be as good as they once thought. So I was very curious about what someone like Michael, who had never really viewed themselves as an artist, was going to feel when he got put into that environment. I think like going to art school was a total surprise for me because I, my sister went to the same art school as me before I got there. And so I had an understanding of what it would be like. I have this memory of like going into my drawing class on the first day. And I don't think I brought one pencil that was dull and I could barely draw anything that would represent reality. Because again, my like background was in mimicking underground comic artists and skateboard graphics. So I could draw that stuff from memory, but I could you know, I had no idea how to draw any like a still life. And I remember the instructor sat us down and said, okay, do a drawing. And I did just the worst drawing. And I, I definitely, I don't remember exactly, but I'm positive I had a panic attack at the time. And then I think I remember getting in my car, being like, okay, well, I'm going to go home and tell my parents that I'm dropping out. <laughs> like that's what's happening. And then I got in, I think I was so upset. I got in a car accident. Like I, not a, not a bad one, but I remember like getting in a fender bender on my way home. So that also say that my, my start at art school was not very smooth. But Michael didn't give up. He kept going to class and finally found a group of like-minded artists that helped one another learn and grow. But luckily I just fell in with some really, really talented people and found like a group of friends, like probably seven, six people who are just amazing artists. Like some of them are tattoo artists, like some of them are, you know, painters, uh, illustrators, the like. And I like learned through that because I like, I was so far behind everyone that go to class and then we'd be working after class. And then my one friend would re-explain something to me um, and then I'd be like, okay, I get it now. And and so I think that was the the thing that got me through that time period. Before he knew it, it was time to graduate. And as you probably know, if you've listened to a few episodes of the podcast, is that when you graduate with an art degree, you don't just start getting paid to go paint your studio. Michael had to figure out how his work was going to fit into the world and help keep the lights on. I think I wanted to be a muralist, maybe. Um, so I remember in school, like for senior year, I was like, I'm going to be a muralist. I, I want to be a muralist. Like, like that's like, there's people will pay for murals. But at the time, I could not get someone to give me a mural. So I went to my instructor at the time and he was like, well, just buy some big canvases and just paint on those. So painting was like a stand in for not being able to do murals, you know, and not being able to do the one thing I wanted to do. And then when I got out of school, I was like, okay, well, I want to be an illustrator. And so I did paintings that were so weird that like no one would ever put on like a beer label or a packaging. But at the time, like, I, I remember I just ran into someone who saw like just on the street, they were like, oh, hey, like those paintings you're posting, like are great. Like you want to have a have an opening at my gallery and we I met his gallery was like just like in his apartment above in like a really kind of nice neighborhood that he got a good deal on rent 
And I did like, you know, seven paintings for that. But at the time I was still working, like I was interning in advertisement. But every day I'd go to my internship and I would basically like do my work for three hours and then for two hours I'd plan out what I'd painted that night and then I'd get off work and go do those paintings. And then it really just happened in the background. And then I took that the work from that opening. I think I sold like one painting and I applied to a residency. I remember I was painting a mural with a friend when I found out I got that residency. And I just was like, holy crap, like this is like a big deal. Like I could at least work as a painter for three months, you know, like this residency lasts three months. I can quit my job and we'll figure out what happens afterwards. But at least for three months, I'm going to be a full-time artist. And that was kind of it. And then during that residency, I just met like for the first time and had some really good you know, talks with other artists who were like, no, you can do this. Like, you know, you're, you're in a good spot already. Just keep going. And that's kind of how it worked in the background, kind of. For Michael, the plan became pretty simple. Work some normal jobs to pay the bills and paint as much as he could in hopes that something would work out. One thing he did that really helped things work out was send out physical letters to different galleries that he thought he could fit in with. And luckily for him, a couple of them got back to him. I sent them a letter of my work and they were just the two curators and two directors were kind of talking about a group opening and my letter just happened to be on the table in front of them. <laughs> and they were like, oh, like, well, what about this guy? <laughs> and, you know, like, like, like I said, like, I think if you're just like putting yourself out there and, you know, like my first solo opening, which is at like a friend's apartment gallery, it happened because I ran into someone on the street, you know? When you're contacting these galleries and trying to get your art out there, it's important to be realistic with yourself and recognize your level of the craft and what galleries you would actually fit in with. But also, like, read the room. Don't go to, like, Gagosian and expect to, <laughs> expect to, you know, like, hey, can I have a solo show? Like, you know, it's probably, that's probably not going to work out for you. But if there's people who are doing things in a way that is a little alternative, maybe you can find uh, some commonalities with them. And maybe they're going to, you know, because there's a whole lane of artists who are self-motivated or self-funded and self-taught. And that's that's definitely a spectrum too, because like I have, obviously have a BFA. I don't have an MFA. There's always going to be something you don't have. And there's always going to be someone who's willing to work with you. You might find a space that seems like a great fit and they just don't like your work. But that doesn't mean you should give up. You have to do your best to take those rejections and just use them as fuel to keep going and, and look around and try different approaches. So once Michael was making some money and starting to find some success, it didn't happen overnight. When I got that residency I told you about, <laughs> they were like, okay, well, it's one year from now. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, the, the, here's this money that I'm being offered, but I'm not going to get it until a year so, but and then I needed to come up with a body of work. So I, I worked at this company at this like display room for tables and they had like maybe two customers come in a day and I would just sit and I would write and I would draw and I would, I came up with like my idea for the residency while I'm just, you know, sitting at a desk and then someone would come in and be like, you want to buy a table? And they're like, probably not. <laughs> Both go our separate ways. And that worked out. And then, you know, like I said, I've, I've done a million things. I've worked as a wall manager for a mural festival. I've 
sold things. I've worked in retail. I've, but, you know, that's all several years ago now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've always had to kind of pay my own way because art, art takes a really long time to be profitable. And um, even once you're, you're killing it, you're, there's going to be some great years and then there's going to be some slower years. All of this is late. All of my development is laid over the fact that the pandemic happened in the middle of all of this. Right when I was like, you know, 2019 was like right when I would say I finally started really like I, I didn't have a job for the longest I'd ever not worked somewhere. I had some like an art fair I was going to be a part of. I was going to do some murals. I was going to do this and that. And then the pandemic happened and everything was canceled. And you know, I still, but then I still had something to fall back on. Yeah. But then, you know, once the pandemic kind of was over and we're going back to doing in-person openings, then I had the best year financially of my life. And also, um, I really only spend money on the things that matter to me. Like my, my rent is like absolutely nothing. My studio rent is absolutely nothing. I, buy clothes once a year, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And that really adds up so that you're not taking on those, you know, things that, that, that will detract from making the art that you got to make. Everything takes some level of sacrifice, but as long as you're happy, that's what matters, right? Sure, Michael might not be living some lavish lifestyle, but he's happy making the works he wants to make. And there's collectors who want to hang those works in their home. I mean, what more could you ask for as an artist? So tell me when you became a full-time artist. 2019 was the year I started being a full-time artist, I'd say. I haven't had a full-time job since or after that. Um, I've, like I said, instructed at a college, but um, that's one or two classes a year. Um, And then the rest of my income comes from just painting and, and murals. And like I said, there, there's been, a, I've been, had years in there that are like amazing. Some years that are not so amazing. Um, but I've always just been able to, since then, been able to, from the momentum of that, because it's like you do one thing like that has an echo, you know, you have a solo opening and then suddenly this whole group of people who didn't know you before now are aware of your work and that just kind of goes and goes and goes. So yeah, it's been about, I mean, four years now, full time. Can you think back to how you were feeling in those moments when you were trying to work toward those goals of becoming a full-time artist and did you have any fears or anything oh yeah i just thought it would never happen (laughs) it just feels like because when you're dealing with one problem every day you feel like that problem will never be overcome and you know it you don't realize like the the difference of like one week to the next week because painting is a slow burn and um it was but it was during that residency when someone i I met a an older artist who um he works with galleries but he's entirely self-produced you know he has his team um and it was the first time someone told me like you know you want to make work for 50 years not five and when i started making work on the, the scheme of like all right let's let's make the the path the goal to be doing this for 50 years that's when i started like having the clearer headspace to not worry about day-to-day stuff of like oh it's no no progress is being made because even if you never become a full-time artist if you just paint for 50 years like you're going to be great (laughs) at the end of 50 years even if you never have a solo opening like that work still exists your family and whoever has seen it gets to see it for as long as you know the work still exists so and if 
you know, if that's the headspace you have, then things will come. But yeah, I, I would say it was like pretty bleak. It, it was only when I started, um, when I was like, I was up against the hurdle of like, how do I get in with these galleries? How do I know these galleries? And, and you know, get on your phone, get out your, for, in my case, get out your stationery and write <laughs> a letter. And, and people will, people will respond to that, you know, and it will, it'll, it'll get some people off guard. If you try to communicate in exactly the way that everyone else is communicating to the exact gatekeepers that everyone else is communicating to, you're probably not going to cut through the noise. But if you, you know, go to someone who is a little bit more receptive and you talk, you, you know, you're very thoughtful about, you know, I, I enjoy what you're doing and, you know, like, just keep me in mind. Michael turned the life he was given into the life he wanted. And that climb to the top was far from traditional, from the way he fell in love with art and enrolled in art school to then started writing handwritten letters to galleries. Because just like his art, he does things his way. Thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. Today's episode was released on my birthday, and I can't believe how fast time has flown by from curating my first show to getting married and even starting this podcast. Everything seems to move in the blink of an eye, but I'm so grateful that I get to sit here and make these episodes for you all to listen. As always, if you have enjoyed this show and want to see it improve, just spread the word to anyone you know and get everyone listening to these inspiring stories. If you want to go even further, consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to the podcast and check out our available prints and original artworks on our website, myartisreal.com. Thank you, and I will see you in the next episode.